Hello, EB Online Church family. Today finds us once more on a couch or in an EB at home group. So wherever you may be watching us from, thank you so much for making us part of your day. Now look, last week we let the words of Jesus tug at the string of our soul as we listened to him describe our Father's heavenly home. He reminded us that heaven is a real place of community, a place of unique identity and unlimited fulfillment. Now, of course, if you think about it, if what we believe about Jesus is true, that he was God in the flesh, then his perspective on this subject carries more weight than anyone else. He experienced life on both sides of the curtain. Jesus understood better than anyone else what heaven is all about. And we could spend this whole series just on what Jesus said about our next life. But for today, allow me to sum up his teachings in three statements. Here's the first one. Death is not the end. Death ends no one's existence. History is actually moving toward resurrection. There is coming a day when every human being will be resurrected and stand before God in what will be a universal moment of judgment designed to declare God's righteousness, restore his creation, and inaugurate the next age. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. He said, I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The father has life in himself and he has granted that same life-giving power to his son and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. So don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Now look, it was a longing for resurrection. And we're going to flesh this out in a couple of weeks. But it was a longing for resurrection that became the ultimate goal of a Christian's hope. And there's going to be no excused absences. Everyone will have this experience. Paul told Christians in Rome that, look, we're all going to stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. And then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Everyone will face the one who knows us through and through. And that moment will usher each of us into one of two opposing qualities of life. Now, here is where we come to a teaching that over time has been kind of pushed further out to the periphery, if it's even discussed at all. Heaven is not our default destination. While Jesus spoke of heaven as a real place, we must acknowledge he also spoke of another reality. Now, I hesitate to use the word hell because doing so runs the risk of conjuring up images that have their genesis more from medieval history than from the earliest Christian writings. The most common New Testament word sometimes translated as hell is Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place, not just an idea. It was the trash heap outside the, the southwest corner over there of Jerusalem. It was where the city's garbage would be taken outside the walls and burned. And there remains to this day a valley that bears its name. Jesus would call on that imagery, the imagery of that smoldering rubbish heap when comparing the next life existence of those who participated in or rejected the kingdom of God. Now look, trust me. Trust me when I say I don't want to believe in hell. If I had a choice, I certainly would not believe in it. 
But Jesus was far too clear and conclusive about the next life experience of those who reject him to deny its existence. As Dorothy Sayer writes, there seems to be a kind of conspiracy to forget or to conceal where the doctrine of hell comes from. The doctrine of hell is not medieval priestcraft for frightening people into giving more money to the church. It is Christ's deliberate judgment on sin. She says we cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. The truth is heaven and hell stand together. To deny hell only serves to minimize what Jesus did on the cross. It lowers the stakes of redemption. If Jesus' death did not deliver us from a Gehenna existence, well, his work on the cross was less heroic, less potent, less consequential, and thus, well, less deserving of our praise and worship. Now, I don't know, would it surprise you to learn that, that Jesus had more to say about hell than anyone else in scripture? If for no other reason, Jesus knew like no other what God forsakenness was like, right? And when he talked about it, well, he used three vivid descriptors. First was darkness. Here, Jesus reminds us that hell is a place of total isolation. There's no community, no friendship. It's not as some skeptics mock a, a giant lounge where between drinks, people tell stories of their escapades on earth. Hell is a place of eternal loneliness. And Jesus also described hell with the word fire. Now look, I, I don't know if it's literal or not, but I do know this. Everyone is going to have a physical body when we are raised. And the point of this image is that hell is a place of discomfort. And Jesus also said that in hell, there would be gnashing of teeth. It's something like the feeling you get when you're driving too fast and you see those blue lights flash in your rearview mirror. In other words, hell is a place where you live in eternal regret over not living the life that you should have lived and can never live again. And all the while, the new heaven and earth moves gloriously on. That's why in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus warns, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. You know, I think as with Jesus' language about heaven, so with his talk about Gehenna, I believe that Jesus attempted to describe future realities using present imagery. And what he did, he described two opposing qualities of life. One where you enjoy community and fulfillment. The other where you endure loneliness and regret. One is a place of comfort and, and one is a place of discomfort. One, you lived bathed in God's glory. One, you live in utter self-absorption. Now, heaven is not the default setting of our next life. It is only for those who choose to go there. Now, please understand, God does not send anyone to hell. Rather, he simply honors their choice. As C.S. Lewis put it in his book, The Great Divorce, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, he writes, choose it. You know, no one in hell is going to say, God put me here because the truth is God put hell on his son so that we wouldn't have to go. One way or the other, our sins will be judged, but God grants us the dignity to choose where, at the cross or in hell. And no one in heaven, by the way, is going to say, I put myself here. 
When we get the first glimpse of God, we're going to be so amazed that he would make a way for sinners like us to experience heaven. And that brings us to a third teaching of Jesus. Heaven will welcome all who trust him. Jesus' view of life after death was always consistent. He never wavered. He he made it clear that our eternal destiny hinges on our relationship to him. So Jesus tells us in John 6 and in John 14 that he says, my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day for I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one can come to the father except through me. Jesus was clear about this. Being good enough Well, it's not good enough. It's not good enough to get you to heaven. You see, the great question on that day will not be, well, how much did you sin? Rather, the question will be, how much did you trust God's answer for your sins? Jesus said, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Now, please listen. God loves the whole world, but only those who intentionally cling to grace will experience the joy that is heaven. Only people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, will possess eternal life with God. And for centuries, Christians have clung to this truth. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The Apostle John wrote those words to Christians who were doubting their eternal home. He continued, he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, the question is, How much do you trust Jesus? In Valladolid, Spain, where Christopher Columbus died in 1506, there's a monument. And that monument commemorates this great discoverer. At the bottom of the statue, there are three Latin words with a lion eating the first word. The three words are non plus ultra, meaning no more beyond. And for centuries, this phrase was Spain's motto because they believed that geographically, they lived near the edge of the earth. There's no more beyond Spain. But in 1492, Columbus proved that there was more beyond. So the monument depicts a lion eating the first word, no, leaving the words more beyond. Now look, we need to understand that when Jesus appeared to his followers on that Easter morning in his resurrected body, the lion of Judah was telling us there's more beyond And he was giving us a hint of coming attractions. Death is not the end. A resurrection is coming. And that resurrection, as we're going to see, is the focal point of our hope and will usher us into one of two qualities of life, one with God and one without. And Jesus was sent to make sure that your soul and mine makes it home. There there is more beyond this life, more beyond our struggles and our pursuits, more beyond our worries over school and money and health and and politics. So why not begin living today as if there will be more tomorrow? Now, I know that the majority of you who are watching today have, have already trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But if there is someone watching who would like to explore this idea further, someone who is considering the validity of Jesus' teaching and claims, well, I'd be love, I would love to, to listen to your questions. My quarantine is almost up and and we can talk about Jesus over some chicken fingers and sweet tea. Just let me know. And for those of us who have already come to a conclusion about Jesus, we must allow our future hope of resurrection to energize and impact our current lives. 
We cannot sit around waiting for some distant eternal vacation. Instead, we must actively seek to live out God's kingdom will right here and right now. We have the opportunity to demonstrate heaven's ethos. So clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. I look forward to being with many of you in person very soon. Until then, remember, there is more beyond. There is a home for your soul.